Hi, and welcome to Projected Opinions, the best movie podcast in under 20 minutes. My name is Matt Noble. And I'm Nathan Payne. And today we're going to be talking about Mad Max Fury Road. If you're new to Projected Opinions, like we are, uh, this is a short movie podcast that you can listen to on a commute in the morning or while you're making your uh, breakfast coffee, anything like that. Uh, It's a short, always under 20 minutes, uh, review and in-depth look as much as you can about the movies that are coming out and the cultural relevance they have and the philosophies behind them, the art of filmmaking, etc. Uh, so we'll just jump right into what we thought of the movie in less than a minute. Go ahead, Nathan. Well, so the first time I ever saw this movie, it was in theaters, and I'd never seen a Mad Max movie before. And my friend convinced me, you want to see this movie? And I'm like, no, I don't. And he's like, you're going anyway. And I said, okay. And I showed up, and I was blown away. I was so confused as to how an action movie could be what this was. Um, and I think, it's, I think it's more than an action movie it has been in the past, and it's done something really interesting. So, yeah. For me, uh, I actually tried to watch Mad Max, the original film, and I got halfway through, and I, I, I stopped. I couldn't, I couldn't take it. I was bored. Uh, I thought... The acting was poor, and that the the story itself was irrelevant and not interesting. Now, there's going to be a lot of people that disagree with me strongly, and that's that's totally fine. Uh, so, the only reason I ended up seeing that Max Fury Road is because of the trailer. Uh, I was a high school teacher and prepping a lesson, and got distracted and clicked on a trailer for this up and coming movie called Mad Max Fury Road, and was blown away just by the trailer. And I thought. There's no way I'm not going to see this in theaters. I've seen that backfire, though. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Uh, and, I, and I thought to myself, I don't know what I'm going to watch. I have no clue what to expect. My expectations are somewhat low, although the trailer looks incredible. I, I was really intrigued by the artistry and the, the, the color uh, specifically. But we can get into that uh, later. So next thing we want to jump into is what we loved about the movie. And then we'll uh, talk about what we hated. And then we'll kind of wrap it up real quick at the end. So go ahead. What did you love, Nathan? Um, I think th- I think the thing that I loved the most was that it was just so unique. So most movies these days, you most of the dialogue you get is straight out of out of people's mouths. It's it's spoken to you. All the important things are said, um, which bothers me as a filmmaker yeah. because what's the point of watching it if I'm going to hear it all? I can just listen to an audiobook or an audio drama or something like that, which I have done. Um, and this movie didn't do that. It There was dialogue in as much as humans need to talk, but the story didn't need the dialogue, if that makes sen- any sense. Yeah, it was definitely a... It was showcasing the number one rule in film, that is show, don't tell. And I appreciated that a ton. A lot of people said that there was no story, uh, that it wasn't plot-driven, that the characters were not well-developed, and I completely disagree with all of that, and we'll get into that in a, a second here, but I think the number one thing about Mad Max Fury Road is how much of a visual story it is. Absolutely. And that's not typically done with Hollywood. A lot of times they will do exposition out the wazoo, and they'll tell you and tell you and tell you and tell you all the things that are happening all the time, and characters will think out loud for no apparent reason, just so that you can keep up with what's going on. It's like, I, I was already there. Like, I don't, I don't need you to say that. I'm the not obvious. stupid. I yeah. don't need you to tell me. Yeah. And it was refreshing to see something completely different. 
Yeah, exactly. And as as a person that that makes visuals, um, it was very cool to me to see something that had its own style that wasn't really copying anything else, and it wasn't right. it wasn't so over the top that it was just kind of confusing. But it it had a continuity to itself. It it knew what it was, and it adhered to its rules, and it stuck with it, um, and that was cool. Let's talk a little bit about the direction. Um the editing, the cinematography, things like that, the, the actual making of the film, the art direction. I love that this movie is so orange. Um, <laughs> it's, it's weird. Uh, and blue. And blue, yes. Um, and I think you, you see that a lot, and it's kind of looked down upon um, because of some notable filmmakers that love this blue. <laughs> Michael <chili>. Bay. <laughs> exactly. Um, and he, the honest truth is that even though Michael Bay might not be great at telling a good story shortly, his color <laughs> his color theory is correct. Blue and orange look good together. Blue and teal look good together. And I think that George Miller has, has finally put it to a story that it's worthy of, <laughs> of good color theory. Um, but I enjoyed the fact that it was vibrant. A lot of movies these days are, are rather bland color wise um so i enjoyed the vibrant colors there's reds and and oranges and there's bright whites everywhere and um specifically one of the things that i really loved is you'll see oftentimes night these days in movies portrayed very darkly and um Mm -hmm. it's very hard to see what's going on but in mad max the night scenes are bright blue and they they're like it's straight up like a graphic novel like it looks very kind of comic booky in the old sense um very stylistic and it's it doesn't draw you out of the story you go that makes sense if the world were this orange in the daylight it'd be this blue at night it just just, your brain goes with it i i think so one of the things that really struck me was a really short behind the scenes clip about the editing Mm -hmm. in mad max uh i believe the film was edited by george miller's wife actually and uh, one of the things that I noticed while watching the film, probably the second or third time in theaters, I saw it five times in theaters, so uh, I started picking up on things because every time I saw it, I saw something new. And one of the things I noticed was that all the editing is really smooth and seamless. There's a (laughs) ton of cuts. There are more cuts in this film than you will see in the average action movie, by far. It's incredible. Um, However, they are not as noticeable because of the continuity of shots. Uh, So, for example, like... The scene in which uh, Max is hijacking the the big rig. Spoiler alert. Um, also, probably something good to note in all you should the watch the movie <laughs> in all the projected opinion podcast uh, episodes that you will have from here on out. Uh, our only spoiler free section will be the first minute re- like gut reactions to the film. Everything else is fair game. So, uh, moving forward. Um, one of the things that you, I noticed was that fight sequence between Furiosa and Mad Max. There's like 30 cuts from start to finish, and you don't even notice half of them because the angle is so similar. It's just like a little bit more to the left and a little bit farther back or a little bit closer, and then a little bit more left to the left and a little bit closer. And George bit Miller is very good at pushing rules to exactly where he needs them to be to the point of the cinematography and he knew that he was going to be cutting so fast his cinematographer he told him to point straight at what he needed to be filming so normally in cinematography we have the rule of thirds right right? and so you put somebody's uh face 
on one of the thirds. So you have two thirds on one side of the frame and then a person and then another third on the other side of it's the frame. It's pleasing to the eye. It feels balanced. It, it makes sense visually, but Mad Max moves too fast. Mm-hmm. Moves so fast, in fact, that if you look at the, at the movie, everything that you need to pay attention to is in the smack dab center of the frame. Mm-hmm. And it's that way so that as he's cutting, you never lose... Um, track of what you need to pay attention to you can notice the other stuff but if you look in the center you'll always see what you need to see yeah yeah i i think the editing cinematography and direction are phenomenal you don't see a lot of those skills put together the way that they were in an action movie telling a story like the one that you you see in in mad max fury road let's talk a little bit about the acting before we uh run out of time here um a lot of days these like acting is is kind of a lot of people want to notice it um (laughs) which makes sense you know you go you go you go to a movie to see a character portrayed um but often i find that i will be sitting in the theater going i would have done it differently or thinking about things like that creative choices that are going on and it draws you right out of the story. And I had none of that while watching Mad Max. Right. I was just kind of like, what is this dude like going to do? Like, how is he going to act? And, and how is, more importantly, I think you could make a very strong argument that Furiosa is, in fact, the main antagonist or protagonist of the, of the movie. Yeah. Um, and certainly she's the one that, that makes all the, you know, plot-related decisions as far as um, dragging Max along into this story. Um, And it was exactly what it needed to be. It was subtle, and, like, I felt like these characters were making decisions in a world. Like, I didn't didn't feel like they were really acting. Yeah, I I felt as though the acting was very physical. Uh, Facial expressions, Mm -hmm. um, gestures, movements, little things that would happen in that world um, without words. And so, so much of what Tom Hardy does, so much of what Charlize Theron, Nicholas Holt, the rest of the whole cast does is they use their physicality to display what's going on in their heads. Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. not easy. Like, good acting is, and today, is a lot of times about, like, how do they deliver those lines? Uh, That's not acting. It's how... (laughs) your body is portraying your character uh, through your, your eyes, how they portray emotion, through your actions, how they b- betray your, your thoughts. Like, that helps you understand the character. And I thought it was phenomenally well done with so little dialogue. Absolutely. I think my favorite moment is when one of the wives almost falls off the side and mm-hmm. Max looks out the window and he just kind of goes, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't say anything. He's just kind of like, okay. All right, we still got, there. We still got everyone here. Okay, yeah. And and like it's in some of the trailers, and it was just like it was funny for me because that's real. Like I would have I would have done that. I wouldn't have said anything. Like it, but normally in a movie you'd you'd have a line there, probably a larger one too. Yeah. So I really appreciated things like that. Uh, let's we're kind of running short on time. We're going to keep it under twenty minutes. So let's talk a little bit about the things that we wish we could have have changed or improved i mean it's it's really arrogant to put ourselves in george miller's seat uh yeah. mr miller we, we love we you, love you. <laughs> um what are things that you thought were like eh, 
Something could be given or taken down. The only story-related thing that... Okay, two. That really bothered <laughs> me. One, Nux. Kind of flips a hard 180. And you can only really blame it on the fact that he spoke a few sentences to a girl. Mm. And that that excuse always bothers the crap out of me in movies. Like, mm, when you live your whole life like Nux has, presumably for the the glory of this one person, and he's finally got it. Like, he's he's got it in his hands to be the savior. You don't look at one of them and speak three words and then turn around and decide to abandon your entire mission. He's lost maybe, I think, one of the wives at that point has died. Mm-hmm. But even then, he'd still be more of a hero if he brought back the remaining four as opposed to defecting completely. He's sealed his death warrant if he ever gets caught and he's defected. But if he comes back with something, at least he's got a chance for mercy. Um, well, I think this is, in his head, like, he's already had two chances. Uh, and he's failed now twice. And he's also seen his his human savior here in this moment, like, basically reject him. Like, the, the whole lot. One word, mediocre. Uh, in his head, he now knows, like, I'm I'm not awaited. Valhalla is maybe not even an opportunity for me. Uh, I think in such a performance-based society of, like, you either do the thing or you don't and you're dead. Uh, I think the 180 could happen in that scenario. And see, that here's, here's the main issue is that that's a good reason that it was never given in the film. Good. I don't want exposition. <laughs> right. But they they try to pin it on his romantic interest, yeah. which never really comes around. And it, th- that just bothers me because you're left to just kind of assume that that was a deciding factor, which really it probably wasn't. Maybe. Um, I, I, yeah. I felt like the interaction uh, between Nux and I trying to remember her name uh, one of the wives the, uh, the redhead that's yeah, all I remember yeah I, I don't remember <laughs> um, maybe Cheeto or something uh, um, I, I think that interaction is more pure than romance actually the, the things that bothered me uh, were the things that took me out of the storytelling there were so few moments um, but there were th- three of them and the first one hardly bothered me at all. Uh, and all, uh, two of them have to do with eating creatures. So uh, the first one, uh, when Max stomps the, the two other lips and eats it, like, I was like, oh, that's, like, what a strange... I, I, mean, I know it's George, like, pushing me into a world. Like, this is the world. Boom. Uh, and I get that, and it kind of bothered me because it just looked really, really weird. Um, the second one it's when Nux eats the Nux eats the bug <laughs> I was just like what the heck bro like because we were listening to this beautiful like dialogue monologue thing of like redemption between mm-hmm. Mad Max and uh, and Furiosa and I was like this is so beautiful cut to Nux eating a bug and I was like what the heck like, yeah see and in that point it it's not even it. about like this wouldn't happen in that world it's, it probably would he would have eaten the bug but yeah. it's like I don't want to pay attention to that right yeah, now yeah that, that's not what's important I don't ugh uh, and then lastly, uh, one of the most, to me, sore thumb moments, there's so little uh, obvious computer-generated images mm-hmm. in this film um, that it stuck out to me is when the big rig crashes into the bridge, cr- like, everything falls down. And, and the guitar, like... And the guitar, like, <laughs> pops out and then springs back, and then 
the steering wheel flies off and right. like perfectly your trans- face. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Only because never in contrast to yeah. the rest of the film, it seems so cheesy. It's like too perfect, too like Yeah, I mean in any other film contrived. where where things like that are normal, it'd be you right. you just kinda of blink and go, Okay, it's another one. But in this world, you've grown That's, so accustomed uh, to seeing the real thing that you're like, yeah. man, you've stooped. Yeah. <laughs> you've stooped to everyone exact, else's level. I know. That's exactly what I thought the first time. I was like, no, why? That was unnecessary. Like, just show it crashing. <laughs> cut to black. <laughs> I would have been totally... I would have been fine with just the camera getting hit with the truck. Like, I thought it's <laughs> what was going to happen. Like, uh, there's a scene in Born Ultimatum uh, where they actually took, like, a... Probably some Can 5D Mark II or something or and set it in the car like crashes into the camera and annihilates it and i thought it was incredible it was so cool and uh, i thought that was going to happen here it didn't so let's uh let's wrap Sad day Anywho. conclusion uh in general how do you feel about this film george miller is not even going to be able to compete with himself i feel <laughs> like and as far as i know mad max um i forget what the next one is called but he's already started production um he's he's lining it up um there's gonna be a sequel folks wasteland is what it's called mad max wasteland i have no idea how he's gonna live up to himself because he he's taken his time and he did it well he crafted this thing incredibly well and he's got the technical prowess i just don't know if he's gonna get a perfect storm of everything working again i hope he does dear lord i hope for a second one of these (laughs) um because there's precious few action movies that can hold a candle to any sort of relatable human emotion like this one does. It's such a story about redemption. But it also happens to be great action, so, you know. Yeah. Uh, overall, I, I this is one of my favorite films of all time. And um, it's visually stunning. And the story that it it shows you is worth watching, I think. And uh, is one of the better action films ever created. So, uh I think that's a wrap for us uh, today. Thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, next week, we'll be reviewing, uh, what is it, King's Speech? I believe it is. King's Speech. So uh, stay tuned uh, for more episodes, and uh, thanks for checking us out. This is the Projected Opinions Podcast. <laughs>